This podcast is brought to you by Gistia Labs, an award-winning product development team that helps high-tech companies build successful web applications. Find more great content like this podcast at gistia.com. You're listening to Launch Solid, a podcast about tech products, startups, and the entrepreneurship life. Thank you for tuning to the Launch Solid podcast. This is your host, Carlos Taborda. Today we have Kyle Brown, who runs Clawhammer Supply. He is uh, he's quite the guy. You should check this episode out just to give you a, a little bit of an introduction to it. So Kyle runs a physical startup let's call it something like that um that way you 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 see you know it relates to whatever it is you're doing and probably you're more of a somebody doing software or tech but so is kyle even though kyle is doing his his product is kit for people to be able to do stills for people to distill whiskey and other other liquors i don't know if that's the legal way of saying this so disclaimer um, go to Clawheimer Supply and make sure you're doing things legally. Just want to make sure I don't get in trouble or I don't get Kyle in trouble. But it's a pretty interesting story how he got started by finding that there was a huge market for people who wanted these products. So what, what I like about this story is that he, he was building a product like many of us are, right? But he's building a physical product, which is usually usually way harder to do. So um, I really recommend this. Um, Clawhammer Supply is close to a million dollars a year um, in revenues, and they're doing excellent. Um, and uh, Kyle is, is is quite the entrepreneur, um, also implementing a lot of technology to make sure that his business um you know, this business is relevant, right? From content marketing to um, actually some really interesting things he's trying to do with stills and technology. So, well, I leave you with this episode and I hope you enjoy it. Kyle, man, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Um, we met up a little bit ago in, in this Mixer G event. And funny thing is Andrew was the last one, the last person to be, to, to be on the show. And, uh, so it's going to be in order. You're going to be right after Andrew. And uh, he invited me to that event during the interview. That's a oh, funny cool. thing. That's a funny thing. So anyways, I'm, I'm really excited to, to have you in the show. We, we started talking about what you're doing. And I thought it was really interesting because it's a very, you know, it's, it, it is a manual process. It is, it is a very, uh, it's a craft, right? It's this, this craft that needs to be taken care of, all this, this process, but you're using technology in the, in the right way. And implementing it, you know, you're thinking of, of, of implementing technology in the future to improve your product. So I, I wanted to bring in the show and talk a little bit about those things. Cool. Yeah, Carlos, it's great to be here. Awesome, man. I'm excited. So, well, before we start talking about, about what, you, what you do, tell me a little bit about yourself. Okay, sure. So I've been, um, I've owned and operated Clawhammer Supply since 2009, which actually started out as a hobby. Prior to that, um, I was a consultant in the building science industry, uh, primarily um, residential. Uh, mostly what I did was I, I built, yeah, you know, I was a certifier for programs like uh, the United States Green Building Council's LEAD program 
and the um, EPA's Energy Star program. If you've heard of those, I'm sure some folks have at least. What just just to 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 add to that? What did you go to school for? So I have a uh, so I have an undergraduate degree in um, environmental science and economics, and then a master's in science of uh, in a master's of science in environmental science. Got it. Uh, yeah. So actually, I used that degree for you know five or six years um, until, of course, my 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 side business actually took off. Um, and, and this has been your side business since then. Yeah. So yeah. So Clawhammer Supply. Um, you know, my business was uh, started as a hobby in in two thousand nine. Really, not even as a business, just as a hobby. And it started in two thousand nine. Um, worked on it for about two and a half years before, um, you know, I got a little traction in the beginning and I, I pivoted and, and um, actually started selling a different product than the one I started with, um, or at least the same, same product, different form. Um, but then in like 2011, 2012, things really started to take off. And, and um, at that point, I quit my job and, you know, I've been doing this full time. And from what I just just to set the stage for everybody who you know doesn't know the context of the whole thing, you guys are near or or past a million dollars a year revenue goals. We're not past, but we're closing in on it. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I mean, that sets the stage, right? To to, to understand the, the the size of business and the seriousness of it. But yep. let's let's go. Let's set the stage a little bit. Let's let's talk a little bit more about at the beginning. So first of all. You were working, I mean, you did the lead certification thing. You did all these different things that are very in-depth within that previous career, right? How, yeah. did you get, how did you get started? I mean, what was what was the thing that triggered, I'm going to make stills? Yeah, you know, I actually started as a home brewer. So I started uh, brewing beer. And I thought, you know, I, I really want to take this. Well, you know what, I was, I was brewing beer. Here's what happened. I was brewing beer. And at the time, I was living in North Carolina, and I was working with this guy who um, was from South Carolina. And he, um, I was talking with him one day about some some beer that I was brewing, and he said, "Yeah, beer, you know, beer is cool, but let me tell you, you, you know, something that's really cool. My great grandfather had a still, and he made his own whiskey, and then you know that still actually got passed on to my." Grandfather, my father, and then it's it's mine um, now. And I said, "Well, man, you should, you know, let's make some whiskey with it." And he he wasn't into it. And I said, "Well, sell it to me," and he wouldn't sell it to me. Um, so I ended up making my own still because you know, I mean, he sort of planted that seed, and I thought it was a cool idea. And I thought, you know, I, I'd like to make some something stronger than what I'm making now. Um, and I couldn't I couldn't make it. You know, he wouldn't sell me the still, so I made my own. And I got started actually selling the stills because once I made the still and tried to use the still, um, no, I got started selling my own stills because um, basically I, I, ha I had to buy the, the minimum amount of copper that I could buy was basically too much. It was like three times as much as I needed. It was a three feet by 10, three foot by 10 foot sheet, right? So I had enough to build the still that I wanted to build plus two more. Right. And so I, what I decided to do was just, you know, build my still and then also build the other two, but sell the other two. So my still sort of had paid for itself. You know what I mean? And just so, so everybody understands, give me the, the dummy level version of what a still is. Yeah. So a still is just a device that allows you to increase the proof of alcohol. What is so the like, proof of alcohol? The, 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 yeah, the quantity? So like, 
Yeah, so the proof is the um, the percentage of alcohol. So like a beer would be, you know, maybe five or six percent alcohol, right? So it's five um, to six proof? Is that how you five, should? Five to six percent alcohol by volume. Proof would basically you just double the percentage to get the proof, right? So okay, if you have so. a six percent alcohol beer and it's 12 proof, right? Got it. So okay. a lot of things, something that a lot of people don't know about whiskey is that it all starts out at like 10% alcohol, which is like 20 proof. The stuff that you buy from the liquor store, though, is 80 proof, right? Wow. Um, so it's it's 40%. So what it still does is it separates the alcohol from the water in the boiler um, basically by it boils taking the water of, out, essentially. Yeah, but yeah, it actually, it actually boils the alcohol out, right? Because oh, the alcohol okay. has a lower boiling temperature than the water does. So the alcohol boils out first, right? Water stays behind. Alcohol then moves through a condenser, which cools it back down below its dew point. It turns back into a liquid and then drips out of the still. Ah, um, that's how it works. So it's the steam or not the steam, but the vapor, whatever, yes. that turns into liquid. Yes. Oh, yep. interesting. So, I, yeah, so you, yep. I didn't know it was like that. Yeah. All right. So, okay. And I've... and. Guys, everybody who's listening in, I am an ignorant when it comes to this subject. So I'm asking for because I'm really interested. I want to know. Yeah. And for those of you guys who are into interested, I mean, this is a perfect opportunity to, to kind of get educated in this whole this whole thing and even buy a still from Kyle. So <laughs> what is I, I hear though that a lot of people buy like talk about moonshine. What's moonshine? Yeah, so moonshine, um, moonshine is just sort of like a catch-all term, really. So moonshine is, um, I think, most commonly would be used to describe just alcohol that's, I mean, honestly, that, that it's used to describe alcohol that's made illegally, right? So it's it's alcohol that's you know made in the in the backwoods, you know, in in uh, Tennessee or Kentucky or wherever, and then sold you know outside of the confines of the traditional distribution system. It, it's a term that I think. Um, it's, I, it's an American term. I don't think it was something that was sort of, you know, adopted from a European term, but it's an American term. Basically, you know, in, in prohibition, um, this, the manufacturing and sale of alcohol was, was illegal. It was outlawed, but people still wanted it. So individuals were making their own and just selling it, you know, I guess in their, in their towns and whatnot. And that was also illegal. So, of course, they're not going to be doing it during the daytime out in the middle of, you know, like in their front yard. They'll do it in the woods, you know, in, in the, the middle of the night. Yeah, and un under the light of the moon. And, you know, back then, you're not going to, you know, ha you're not going to have lighting that you're going to be bringing out to, to, to allow you to see. So they would do it under the full moon. Gotcha. Yeah, that's so that's why, that's why it's called moonshine. And, you know, today um, you can buy – you know, quote unquote legal moonshine in uh, uh, in liquor stores. It's basically just a corn-based whiskey, high proof, unaged. Right. That's that. So that's the thing. It isn't. So the the real term is to describe something that is, um, I guess, the legal aspect of it, or or the or the non-traditional aspect of it. Not to define a type of alcohol. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, in in is it, so essentially it's like a it could be you could make whiskey right I like scotch right so you could you could theoretically make moonshine that is whiskey or no yeah yeah absolutely so with a still 
Um, you know, there are there are differences in in the different types of stills. There are a couple of different types of stills, but like the still that we make, for example, would be it's it's a hybrid still. So it's a it's a what you'd call a pot still and a column still, sort of wrapped into one. Um, and you could use that uh, to make really pretty much anything, um, moonshine or you know Tennessee, excuse me, Tennessee whiskey, bourbon. Um, vodka, gin, scotch, whatever, you know, rum. You can use it to pretty much make anything. Anything. Gotcha. Yeah. So but there's what, a misconception. People put together moonshine as that that translucent liquor as the only thing that this thing can make. And it can make anything pretty much. Exactly. Yeah. But I do want to, there is um, one caveat though, Carlos. It, I, and I have to say this, and, and yeah. we, and we plaster this all over our blog and in all of our articles and everything. It is illegal, technically illegal, on the state and the federal level um, to actually make your own alcohol for consumption. You're not legally allowed to do that under any circumstance, unless you have a federal DSP, uh, a distil uh, distilled spirits permit. All right. So, well, on that note, that, that this is interesting because. So again, we're, we're, we we set the stage that we want to talk talk about the internet, and we wanted to talk a little bit about how you're using technology, and because you know this is a product you can use. Like I'm sure somewhere along the, the 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 process, you built your own MVP, and then you started you know improving that MVP and yeah. improving the con the process and all these things. Um, but also part of that is that what you just said, it could be illegal in some states, or yeah. or it is illegal. Uh, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a larger level, right? Um, so let's talk about that. So who's your target market? Who Who's the person who buys the stills? You know, that's a good question. We actually have a couple target markets. Um, and, and that is because although you can use uh, our, you could use our stills to make alcohol that you could consume, um, not legally, but you know, you, you could consume it and it would it probably taste pretty good. Um, Uh, you can also use our stills to make fuel alcohol, right? So fuel that you can literally fuel a chainsaw with or a, a lawnmower, even your car. Um, you can use our stills to make essential oils, right? So like lavender oil or peppermint oil, different things like that. You can use our stills to distill water. You can literally even like desalinate water with our stills. You know, you can purify water with our stills. And... Um, I had one more, and I, I lost my train of thought there. Um, so, so, oh, I'm sorry. Not just for it, alcohol, then. Not yeah, uh, not just not just for like distilled spirits. Yeah, so multiple uses. Even like I, I remember what I was going to say antiseptic um, and dis disinfectant. You could also manufacture that. So the kind of people who would buy our stills are, I suppose, people who are just like me who wanted to, you know, had aspirations to make their own uh, liquor. Um, also, people though who are into like the essential oils type thing. Um, and then our, our third uh, uh, customer would be the, like the survivalist emergency prepper um, who wants to be able to make their own you know, fuel and clean water in the event that uh, you know, those things wouldn't, would become unavailable at some point. Gotcha. Okay, that's, that's pretty interesting. And how do the, so let's talk a little bit about each. So... Um, again, we have three types of people. Uh, first of all, 
the people who know that they want to do whiskey, that they want to try and make moonshine, um, do they know flat out that it's illegal? Yeah. Well, I mean, if they read our website, they should know. I mean, we, we try and, you know, we don't want anybody to get into a situation where they're going to do something that's going to get them in trouble. So, you know, we, we make it very clear. I mean, we have disclaimers on every page on our site and our, on our info pages and our, we have a, you know, a legal page and all, you know, all over the place um, on our site, we have, you know, uh, guide guidelines on, you know, what you can and cannot do with the stills. And I, I would imagine that people would do their own due diligence before they even, you know, tried to buy a still. Right. And just to clarify, I, I, I heard from a friend who actually got in some trouble because of, I okay. guess he didn't know in detail, yeah, but is there a, is there like a percentage? Is there like a, like a, like a volume limit where it's legal or, or is, is there's no soft, you know? Okay. So, you know, you can have a still of, no, there's no, there's no size limit. I mean, there should be a size limit. I, I, I could talk about this all day, you know, what, how, how I think the law should be written, <laughs> but um, there, there is no size limit. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it all comes down to what you're doing with the still, right? So, if you're making, if you're distilling water with the still um, on the federal level, you're fine. It, they don't care. And in fact, you can have a thousand gallon water distiller in your backyard and the federal, and you can distill water with it all day and the federal government does not care. But if you have a one gallon still that you're using to make alcohol that you plan on drinking, that's a no-no <laughs> in the eyes of the federal government, at least. And I'll just use them because, you know, the law differs in every state as well. Well, but now let me ask you, why can't you brew beer and what can't you brew whiskey? Like what's, what the hell? Carlos, I don't know, man. That's, uh, that's like, that's the million dollar question. You know, uh, when, when the, the, the quote unquote uh, prohibition of making alcohol at home was rolled back, which actually happened in the 70s. A lot of people don't know this. I think the 30s was the official end of prohibition in the United States, you know, and, and um, people were, uh, were able to buy alcohol at the store at that point. But uh, individuals were still not allowed to make their own alcohol at that point. It wasn't until the 70s that uh, Jimmy Carter actually passed a law um, or probably repealed a law, which then allowed individuals to make their own alcohol, beer, low-proof alcohol. I'm not sure why that, that uh, distilled spirits were not included in that repeal. So I, I, can't, I can't tell you. It's it's interesting. I just found it. I find it fascinating. And now the other two types of buyers. Um, so I, I want to start talking a little bit about your your online marketing strategy. So let's talk about the three types, right? How does how how did you define? How first of all, how did you find that? You know, I would never even think of this that a the, a survivalist would be interested, right? How did you find about this? How did you find? Tell me how you find each of the three. Let, let's start again with the. Uh, with the guy who wants to 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 buy liquor, to make liquor, um, how does how does that guy usually find you? Sure, yeah, um, and Carlos, you know this is something that like I'm working as a business owner and an online marketer at getting better at uh, identifying where my customers are coming from, why they're coming to my site, you know what they're clicking on, and in like in particular, what are my most high value and highest converting, you know, um, landing pages, etc. Um, the 
<clears throat> the um, the person who has aspirations of making their own alcohol, I think, uh, for consumption, I think that was like that was our initial focus, just because that's what we initially thought we wanted to do with the stills. Um, the uh, interesting side story there is that when I first made my still, I discovered that I had way more fun actually making my still than trying to use it. You know what I mean? So yep. that's why that's why it, my hobby, you know, ended up being making more stills and selling stills, you know what I mean, as, in the, as opposed to going into distilling. Um, but, but anyway, right. so, you know, that's, that's, that's how we, uh, you know, came. That was that's your initial hypothesis. But, for example, yeah. have, you, have you discovered, like, what, you know, I, I, you don't have to give all your, your tricks away, sure. but are there, like, search terms? Are they people, people say, hey, is it legal? Um, you know what have you from at a high level you've you how have you identified what you know there's a difference between somebody who likes whiskey and somebody who wants to make whiskey you know what i mean yeah what what would you say is a typical customer look like where where are they from what age in yeah dude that's that's a really interesting thing about our business a lot of people think that our bread and butter customer is like the guy in Kentucky you know, or West Virginia or something, who's literally making moonshine in uh, in in the holler behind their house and selling it. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but that's not the case. It's just not the case. You know, we have our customer base is extremely diverse. So you know, we have everyone from that type of a person to, I mean, and we can tell we we can tell. You know, we don't survey our customers, but if, of course, if you look at someone's. Um, what would it be like the core, the ending on their email? You can kind of tell what they do. You know, like uh, 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 Jim at whatever law firm. And, you know, we like, so we get emails from lawyers, doctors, professors, uh, you know, car mechanics, um, like everybody. I, I literally, I'm not kidding. I know at least one CEO of a publicly traded company that has one of our stills. Um, so, you know, our, our, our customer base is super, you know, diverse. The, the, probably the most, the thing that uh, people are clicking on the most coming into our site are our how-to articles. So although um, making your own Apple brandy is illegal, we still have educational tutorials on how one might go about doing that on our site. So if And just to clarify, you don't sell stills. You sell the kit so that people can make their own stills. Correct, yeah. That, yes. That's a technical one. That's interesting. Yes, yeah. Because selling a still as a still is also kind of, is, is frowned upon, right? Um, yeah, you know, it just, again, that comes back to where you are in the country. On the federal level, um, I think they just view uh, everything the same way. They would probably just view that as a still um, uh, state by state. Uh, it, an unassembled box of parts would be looked at differently than a finished still. So if you're in a state where um, having a still would be illegal without a permit, um, if it was just a box of parts and you hadn't put it together yet, odds are you could probably, you know, you've exploited a loophole there by not having a finished still sent to you, right? So Gotcha. Um, Yeah. Uh, Even though no, it's interesting. I, I really like to, to hear these things because like you say, there's there's certain things that are 
you are serving a market, you're solving a problem, you're finding the right type of people, they're willing to pay for it. Yeah. So, and that's what I congratulate and I, I'm really excited about. So now let's talk about the ins and outs, like the day-to-day of the business. First of all, you have to make stills. How do you make a still? You know, what's the 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 the, the basic you you know you how does it look like from a basic perspective? Yeah, um I wish I I'm not at my warehouse now. I'm in my, my little movies movie studio in the garage. I guess this is audio, so if I show you yeah. a picture on Skype right now, it's gonna see it anyway. Right. Um literally it's a flat box. Um it's a flat box of uh of parts. So it's like an inch and a half, two inches thick by, you know, say like 24 inches by 38 inches maybe is our um, 10-gallon kit. So it's like it looks like somebody shipped you a picture, a painting or something like that. That's that's what the box looks like when it gets to your house, right? So flat copper parts, and there's some copper tubing packed in there. Um, and how we make those parts, we actually buy uh, raw copper, sheet copper. We buy it by the ton, and, and we'll buy it like tons at a time. I think our biggest order to date has been like six tons of copper or something like that. Wow. Um, so yeah, like 12,000 pounds of copper, maybe even more. I think I want to say it was like 16,000 pounds of copper. And, um, you know, buying it in that quantity, it, it um, basically... I, I have a suspicion that in many areas of the country, it would be more expensive for someone to try and make our kit by going out and like sourcing materials locally than it would be for them to buy it from us, already pre-cut from us, you know, shipped to them. Simply because we buy in such high volumes, we get a huge discount on, on, on our material and we're able to, you know, get that material in and then process it, cut it, and then, you know, mark it up so we make some money on it. And still, it comes in at a lower price, and you'd buy it locally. So the but the the manufacturing process is is this like a a the cutting all that have yep. is it automated? Is it machines? Do you do it manually? Is it people? Yeah. So um, two we have three different material types: sheet copper, plate copper, and pipe. Actually, four we have some fittings. Um, sheet copper and plate copper are actually cut uh, for us by a machine shop. Um, that uh, here locally where we are, and um, the uh, it's cut on a water jet. Um, the uh, pipe and fittings are modified manually by my warehouse guys. So we cut the pipe by hand, not by hand. We have a machine that we use, um, but it's still not automated. It requires a person, you know, sitting there. We have jigs set up so you can just you know push pipe on through and chop, 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 chop. And then um, the fittings, you know, we modify one of the fittings that we send out as well. Actually, a couple of the fittings, and that's done by hand as well. Man, that's that's so interesting. What do you think has been the most powerful, or the, or the most useful um, process in, that you had to put in place? So at the beginning, let's look at it. Let's let me rephrase that question. So at the beginning, you were doing this yourselves, yourself. What process did you have to put in place and how did you put it in place in order to get other people to do those, to to make a repeatable process, essentially? Yeah, man, Carlos, this has been a long and painful journey (laughs) because, I mean, I started out like I'm a do-it-yourselfer type guy, right? I mean, I, um, and, and my company's my business is bootstrapped. So I, you know, I didn't take any money from anybody or anything. I, I had a credit card 
that, that, you know, I sunk like $10,000 on at one point. I like the high point of our debt, but that's the biggest, that's the largest amount of debt we've ever had. Um, and you know, I tried, I want to do everything myself. So in the beginning, yeah, I was making all these kits by hand by myself and it was awful. It was ugly. Um, oh man, we were, you know, like just to give you an example, the, the probably like the first, oh man, dozens, couple of dozen kits we sent out even, I was packing in boxes that I literally bought from Home Depot and then like cut up with the box cutter and reshaped to fit the package that I was sending out. And just like that process alone took forever. So, you know, it may, it may not surprise you. Like I literally lost money on the first several thousand dollars of stuff that I sent out just because I was, you know, I mean, I had, there was an accounting, there were accounting errors and there was, there were just inefficiencies galore. Um, but you know, as I moved on, um, uh, you know, I remember, here's another example. I, I went to the plumbing, uh, supply store at one day to buy some pipe. And this is like, maybe like the 10th time I've been in there. Right. So I bought a lot of pipe from these guys and they were at, you know, they knew what I was doing with it. They asked me and they're like, Oh man, such a cool business. And they saw my site and, and then, and they, so they saw like the pieces that I was shipping out as well in the description of my product. And they said, Hey man, how are you, how are you cutting all this stuff? Um, because I think I went in there one day and I bought what's called like a thumb screw, like cutter, pipe mm-hmm. cutter, like a tiny little cutter, um, to replace the one that I had that broke. And the guy looks at me, he's like, dude, you're not cutting all this pipe by hand, are you? And, um, we know he said, how are you cutting all this stuff? And I said, I'm cutting it, you know, I'm cutting it by hand. He said, oh my God, you know, you're, you're kidding me. Um, and he said, I'm going to, he's like, I'm going to change your life, dude. And he walks over to the back wall and he grabs this automatic electronic, you know, electric pipe cutter, battery powered pipe cutter off the wall. And he brings it over to me. And I was like, I don't even, I don't even care how much it costs. Put it, put it on my tab. I'll pay whatever that thing costs. <laughs> Cause I had cut so much pipe by hand at that point, And I'm sure that, you know, I knew that was going to um, make things faster. And so, you know, that's another example of, you know, just one of the small changes we made in the beginning. Because, you know, I'm not a, I have no background in manufacturing. I don't have a background in web development or, you know, uh, anything like that either. Um, but, yeah, I have no background in, in manufacturing. So I had no idea that this type of stuff even existed. Right, that you, that you could optimize all these processes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, over the course of like a couple of years, we made small improvements in how we cut things and boxed things, et cetera. And um, I think another, you know, from there, um, I, of course, I, I had to, I had to, I reached the point where I realized I can't be boxing this stuff up myself anymore because there's just too much other stuff that I need to be doing, you know, like figuring out how to sell, sell these things, et cetera. Um, so of course, you know, I got people trained up on how to, on how to, uh, do these processes. Um, and, and they actually, you know, even every time I think every time I brought a new person on, we've made some improvements in our process because we get fresh eyes in there and they see these things and they're like, Hey, wait, why are we doing it like this? This seems to be taking us a lot of time and it's really difficult. Why don't we try to do it like this and see if it's better? And generally it's better. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, the employees that brought on have made things more efficient as well. Um, the, the third, you know, big efficiency improvement in the business has been, uh, buying materials, materials, um, purchasing. So we've, 
You know, I saved, I mean, if you look at a line graph of my materials cost over the last several years, it's just like plummeting every year because I've figured, I've figured out, you know, you got to shop around, you got to make people bid against each other and you have to buy in bulk. And if you do those three things, you can buy it, you know, you can save a lot of money on the stuff that you buy. It, it's really interesting because your perspective is so different than the people that are right that are creating digital products, like you know, from software to ebooks right. to courses. Because yours is so much harder in the sense that it's physical, you know, like a pivot for you. It, you, you know what I'm saying? It's like it doesn't yeah. fix your old stuff. It, it only fixes the stuff moving forward. Right. Um, so it's it's there's a lot more effort, in my opinion, that goes into. Right into doing how you're into doing what you're doing and and it's really admire you know I admire it because it's again it's hard and I don't understand it like I'm not part of you know I'm 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 really ignorant when it comes to 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 doing handy handy stuff I'm not a handy guy like yeah. <laughs> I swear um <laughs> the uh so but let me ask you so uh, let's say you had you know I don't know some some somebody said hey here's 10 million dollars What would you say if you had more resources? Where would you invest them in? Oh gosh, I mean, you know what? This is one of my biggest uh, problems right now as a business owner. Um, so I don't know how much help I can be to other people. Maybe I could share something that might resonate resonate with other people. You know, I have a hard time, um, you know, growing growing my business simply because. Um, I mean, we have a decent amount of money in the bank right now, and I'm not spending it <laughs> because I'm so, I've been so conservative with this business. Um, you know, I only want to do things that I know will work, basically. And um, I, I suppose if I had to spend money, man, if someone was like, "Here's ten million dollars with a gun in my head, you have to spend this," um, I would, you know, I would hire. Well, here I recently just hired somebody actually that I met at the Mixergy inter interview to help me with online ads. Right, and I, I've never done this in the past because, like, I don't want to waste money on ads. You know, that's like something that I I do not want to do. And I've heard so many people say, "Oh, you 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 can't be afraid to spend money on marketing." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not afraid to spend money on marketing. I'm afraid to waste money on marketing. I don't want to waste money on marketing. So I'm not. I don't want to be spending money on stuff that doesn't have a positive ROI. And because I've never really had the patience to figure that out myself, and I don't have anyone on staff, I think you can figure that out either at this point. Um, I have never done it. But you know, I met a guy at, at Andrew's um, live Mixergy event who just completely convinced me, like, dude, I will make you money on um, on online, you know, on online ads, and um, and you're gonna make a lot more money. And if it doesn't work, you know, which is also a possibility, I'll show you that it's not working, and we won't do it anymore. Right? That's super interesting because. It's. I mean, you figured out one of them. You figured out the content online, and now yes, you're right. you're you're. But 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 for that, you didn't have. You were not afraid, and it took a lot of time and effort to figure out. You know what I'm saying? It, it, yeah. Even though you don't see it as a as a paper click type of thing, it did cost you a lot of time and often it did time, money, and all those things to to figure that out, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. I think the reason I wasn't afraid to do that was just because I like it. You know, like that's really what I like doing. And still to this day, you know, I do a lot of content creation for the site. You know, I edit all of our videos, which I love doing. Um, in fact, I hired someone else to do like all of the administrational higher level stuff for me so I can do what I like to do. 
um, which is content creation. So that's why I never, you know, that's why I ended up, you know, making that quote unquote investment without fear was just because I like doing it. Um, and I didn't really see that as like a cost, you know, cause it was, it was more like, it was fun for me. Um, Plus yeah. almost, I guess, I, I guess at the beginning, the, the cost out of your pocket to do it was less because this time you're not paying somebody to do it. You're not paying out. Right. You're doing it yourself. Yeah. But, but it could have been a bad thing. It, it turned out well. It turned out that you actually hit a nail right on the head when it came yeah. down to that. Yeah, um, man. I mean, I got really lucky because at that point, yeah, you know, there wasn't a lot of, of content out there, period. And there was really like no high quality content out there. And I think that's what we focused on was, was creating higher quality content that I think that, that people knew that they could trust, you know? Man, that's that that's super cool. So let me tell you, uh, one of the things I like to do, to do in the podcast is, I mean, uh, a business is, is the representation of the entrepreneur, right? I mean, that's that's my opinion. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about you for a second, and don't get weirded out by it. I tr trust me, it's a cool yeah. <laughs> cool segment of the show, and it's kind of we're getting nearing the end of the show. Um, and it's three questions I have. So okay, um, actually it's four. So uh, based on All this experience you've gathered, right, throughout the years as you've been building the business, what has been one skill that you've that you've learned that is an important skill? Maybe at the beginning you didn't think of that as a, as a big thing, uh, but now you've discovered that it is kind of a big deal for you. Oh man, Carlos! Right off the top of my head, I'm like, oh shit, how am I going to answer this question? And, and then you know what's going to happen? I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night tonight and I'm going to think, oh God, that's the answer. I should have given him. <laughs> um, <laughs> Honestly, let's, 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 let's put on that one for pause while, while okay. you start thinking about it in a second. <laughs> If you could pick out a book or two that, that you think have led to your success, what, what would they be? Sure. Um, I'll, I'll give you one book and then another strategy. So my favorite uh, book It's not actually a business book. It's sort of like a motivational book, but not not really a business. Um, um, you know, I, I guess you could apply it to anything. But uh, The Alchemist, have you ever heard of the book The Alchemist by yep. uh, Paulo Coelho? Paulo Coelho, Coelho yep. Yeah, I, I love that book, man. Um, I've read that book, you know, I've, I've, re I've read only a handful of books more than once. And that's been one book that I've read like three times. And I've, you know, it's... it's you're like all a, doing a little bit of alchemy right there. <laughs> yeah, yep. right. It's it's like on a fifth graders reading level. It's and you can blow through it like you can power through this book in one flight from you know one end of the country like halfway across the country you know and you're done with it. Uh, it's it's such a great book though. It's it just like gives me such it motivates me. You know it makes me it makes me want to do the things that I'm afraid to do essentially. Um, so that would that's you know that that would be the book that I would recommend to somebody. And then um, uh, beyond that, you know, for, for business owners um, or people who are aspiring to start their own business, um, podcasts, man. And I mean, I guess, you know, however, however you like to choose to consume your information, but just, you know, there's so much information online that is just as good as information in most books and is more up to date. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, podcasts, like I've, since we met, I've uh, listened to a couple interviews that you've done. Um, 
The last one I listened to was the guy who went to jail for insider trading. That was a super interesting interview. Yeah, Um, that was a a tough one. Like that was a really emotional interview. Yeah. So, um, but you know, like I liked the, the, the guy had, you know, he, he got back on his feet and, and, you know, he's, he's back at it. And, um, you know, it, you know, everyone makes mistakes. It seemed like he didn't even really know what he was doing was all that wrong. So, um, but it's like no my friend who bought a still once and ended up getting into trouble for it, thinking it was just, you know, a thing. Yep. Yep. Um, so let me, I'll just run you down the list of my podcasts that I listen to. Uh, so yours, your, your um, launch solid is a new uh, addition to my list. Awesome. Um, I'm honored. <laughs> yep. Um, I've listened to two Tim Ferriss interviews in the last two days. Uh, I listened to probably, uh, I listen to as many Mixergy uh, podcasts as I can, Smart Passive Income with Pat Flynn. Um, that's, a, that's a big one on my list as well as far as, uh, business podcasts, um, and I, I, I could recommend. Um, there's, 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 and I don't remember the name, so I'm gonna do them a disservice. But it's the um, I'll list it in the show notes. My apologies, but it's uh, it's about content, about okay, uh, all the, the different. Um, I think they're the copy blogger people. That's what it is, and they they have a really good a, a good podcast about creating content about. All these different things that you you know have been talking about about finding who those people are and what they're searching for and how do you make them come like go down your funnel. That's a pretty interesting one. So we'll put it on the show notes. Okay, uh, perfect. This, the copy logger one. All right, all right, man. I have an answer to your first question. All right, it popped in my head. I imagine it would ha- it would it would, <laughs> it would pop up. <laughs> I had a schedule even. Um, yeah, so uh, delegation, I think, is the one skill that I've learned that um, has really helped me out, and it's something that I'm still actually struggling with, you know. Um, but that, uh, you know, bringing coming uh, coming to terms uh, and with myself and being honest with myself and admitting that, you know, some things, um, a lot of things, I'm just not good at, and and other things, I just I can't do. Period. You know, I'll never be able to figure out. Um, it has been really valuable because it has allowed me to pass these, you know, tasks on to other people and get it and, done, and then done. Yeah, get them done. And and that's I, I want to share something with you. I think that's nobody has said that in the show, and I thank you for bringing it up because I'm going through something similar in the sense that we just hired a part time CFO to help us with some okay. financial. Not issues, but have a good sense of our financials. Um, yep. If you noticed, I'm, I'm I started working with uh, an, ex, an assistant who's she's like now the producer of the Launch Solid show. Her name is Joy, and she was she schedules people in and out of, of calls, and she's like organizing the flow. Um, yep. She, she basically all I have to do is show up once everything is recorded. It's sent out to the audio editor, so it's it's a fine tuned machine and. I at the beginning when I first started talking to Joy, I I thought I I'm not gonna have anything to give her, and right, and I'm as I I remember writing down things of, okay, Joy, uh, I'm gonna give you this, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this, like it just became a huge, a huge amount of things that I had to give her, to the point that now she's got more hours with me than she can even work. 
Um, and yep. she's only been working two two weeks with, with me. Okay, gotcha. And, and I'm telling you, that has changed how I work and be being more efficient. I think just the first week she logged in something like 15, 16 hours. That would have been 16 hours extra of my work or that I would have had to not do more important things so that I could have gotten them, gotten them done. It's funny how that works. You bring somebody on and you think – Oh, what am I? What are they going to do? And then before you know it, they have so much more on their plate than they can even handle. And it's stuff at that point, you know, hopefully is getting done more efficiently and faster than I would have if you were handling that because you're probably passing the things on to them that you don't like and you, you, you know, you're not going to probably do very well because you don't like those things. And I, I suppose it's important to hire the right people for, for that very reason. Yeah. And what happens is it's, Things that are important that need to get done regardless. Sometimes they're, for example, very basic. Sending statements to the uh, to our CPA, right? I don't like doing that. I don't. Right. I, I can go to Bank of America and download the damn PDF. Sorry for my English, but it's true. I just don't want to do that. I, I know, man. I get pissed off at having to do that because it's not that somebody else could do that. And that takes... 10 minutes, 20, if you add it up, sending the thing, did you get it, blah, blah, going back and forth, it's an hour of my day that I don't want to handle. She yep. does that. Yep. And I thank her so much for it. Yep. Yeah. You know what? I'm in the same boat. That that would be like a perfect example of one of the, one of the things I wouldn't want to do. And and may, I don't know how you approach this, but like some things like that, sometimes I'm just like, you know what? I got better things that I would, I would, I would have things I would rather be doing. I know that needs to be done. But I'm going to ignore it because I want to do this. And know? then it can and, become a problem. Yeah, yeah, it becomes a problem. Things start slipping through the cracks and, you know, things don't get done. And, you know, for me, like, I'm actually a horrible project manager. And, um, you know, I've the person who on my staff that I've been, you know, like my, my go-to guy is a great project manager. And, you know, it bothers him when little things like that aren't done. You know, so he knocks it out real fast and, you know, he's eager to do that stuff and he has no problem doing it where I'm completely the opposite. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit. And, and on that same note, so efficiency and all these things, one of the things that I think that has improved my life as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, um, getting the things that need to get done well, and also setting my brain kind of on the, on the right, um, the right note, if that's how a way I can say it, is a morning routine. Tell me about your morning routine. <laughs> oh, man. we I was just discussing this with my wife the other day. Um, it seems like morning routine has been on every podcast I've listened to um, here recently. I mean, almost every one of the podcasts I've listened to, morning routine's been big. And even my friends, you know, like um, – Several friends, you know, people who have their own businesses, people who don't, who just have regular jobs. Like, it seems like several of the people I know who are focusing, uh, who I know are focusing on morning routines right now. Um, I generally don't do very well in those conversations because I have a horrible morning routine. My, my morning <laughs> looks awful. Um, and consequently, you know, I don't always get started right away. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess here recently I've been thinking I need to, I need to get more done in the mornings. Um, yeah, it's it, let yeah. me let me tell you the 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 the, the psychology behind it. It, it. it has nothing to do with um, getting things done in the morning, unless 
okay, let me put it this way. You can still do things in the morning or you could do them in the afternoon. It doesn't matter. As long as the things that you need to get done, get done, right? Right. But I think what it does is it itself it sets your your priorities right from the day. It's, it's gotcha. And, and it's, it sounds right as straight off a book, but spending a little bit of time on your on your in your morning ten minute ritual for me it's like an hour. Like I straight up don't like I'm I put on headphones. I'm cooking. Lately, I, I here's what I do. I get up. I put in a lemon. Water, um, and I drink that. It's kind of a weird thing, but like it, lemon and water, lemon and water. Gotcha. And the reason why it's it's not a lemonade because there's no sugar and all that, right? But right. It, it's it's helped. It's I do it to help uh, stabilize the acids and the pH in the body. Whatever. It's it's like a weird uh, my the thing. My dad has always done is like you have to do this with baking soda. So I put baking soda in that thing. Yeah, no, dude, I've I've heard about this recently. I, I I'm kind of I'm, I'm tuned into what you're talking about here, definitely. Okay, so I do that every morning, and then after that, I you know while I I drink that, I'm reading a book. I, I usually I'm constantly reading, so I read a, a, on my Kindle. This okay. morning, I'm I was reading Rafael Nadal's the tennis player, um, uh, his his biography. So as I'm reading, I, I wait for like half hour as I read that before I'm like, okay, breakfast time. And then I go in and make eggs and omelets and that sort of thing. But for me, that mo- and then you know after a little bit after that, it's let's say that could be seven seven o'clock. I'm done by eight eight. Usually I start my day. I, I usually have like an eight eight a.m. call every day. Um, like a like a uh, what just what what kind of a call? Customer calls more than anything. Okay. I have a, a call who's a customer who's in uh, in London. So for him, it's like three p.m. 2 p.m., okay. something like that. It's yep. five hours difference. So for me, 8 in the morning or 1 p.m., I forgot right now. I can't add or subtract right now. But for him, it's the time that he can talk. So we talk almost – when when we talk, we talk uh, at 8 a.m. my time. And then um, 9.15, we have our stand-up, which is our internal meeting with with our team. Yep. With different – you know, everybody knows that Gistia is a software consultancy. So every – we, we're talking at projects and what we did yesterday, what we're doing tomorrow, that sort of thing. So, and then we have, on Mondays, we have a weekly planning session between our leadership team. And then um, we start talking about so the budgets, the revenue goals for the week, all those things are discussed on Monday. What happens is I need to set, a, set that tone so that we have a good week. If we don't plan that a little bit, then the week goes to crap. Yeah. Same happens if I wake up Without a purpose. If I wake up without a structure, my yep. day goes to like, okay, what's going on today? <laughs> and and that's all it does. It kind of sets uh. the mood on. Like before you go out, you shower, right? You take, you put on your clothes. But if you go out looking like crap, right? You don't prepare <laughs> to go out. Yeah, you're gonna have a bad time outside. It's something similar. Yep, I get it, man. Um, I used to plan on, you know, I, I haven't done this, and, and I've, I, I, swear, I think I'm feeling the effects of this lately. This is maybe an enlightening interview for me because it's kind of turning on a light bulb in my head right now. I used to plan on Sunday nights. On Sunday evening, I would spend like an hour planning my week out. Um, so I knew, you know, at the, on that Sunday, you know, what I was going to do f- um, for the rest of the week. Um, but, yeah, I could see how a morning routine would help as well, just to get your head in the game and and get it's you the same on thing. track. Yeah, it's it's kind of that same thing when you plan the day before, 
like when you plan your ne- your your day the day before well it's it's mm-hmm. it falls into the same category of things that just organize your brain and by the way now we change subjects completely right from what you're doing from all these things but i think this is so so like you said it's something that everybody's doing quote unquote right but I don't think it's that everybody's doing it now. Now is that everybody has done it forever and ever and ever. If you look back yeah. in history, um, right, and you look at the at at, at you know high functioning people, there's people yep. who wake up at five in the morning. They yep. they read an hour a day. Like I, I've read a couple of books about this. Like if there's um, I'll send you. A, the, I, I here's what I have. I have horrible short term memory, so I'll forget a name of the book very quickly. But um, it's a book about the schedules of of creatives for the last 500 years like i'm talking about like picasso like yep. you know f- almost 100 years ago or these other guys who lived 200 years ago like writers uh emile sola in france like all these people had daily routines like they they got up they worked they did this um, i mean people important people in the united states thomas edison and and you know, yeah. past precedents. Yeah, I've heard about Thomas Edison's routines and and whatnot. So sure. that's why it's it's an old thing. It's just that right now we're just rediscovering that we have to have purpose in our lives more so than just wake up and roll into work by nine nine and get be home by five. Before it if it, it feels to me like we lived in a period of just of just showing up, of, of just with attendance type yeah. of, of, of living. Now you have to be present. You have to, oh, yeah. you have to be there at 100%. So that's why I think we're, we're hearing about people doing meditation and being mindful and being present. And, and the morning routine kind of adapts to that. Let, let me ask you a question, Carlos. I see um, behind you on the Skype picture here, you have a live time versus dead time. Is that is that a reference to what you're talking about here? The that is yeah. So there's a lifetime and there's dead time. Yep. And I also have one that says determine attraction goal and send people. My microphone sounds back because I'm looking back. <laughs> determine attraction goal and define your critical path against that goal. And what that means to me is like dead time was when is when you're not working towards getting to your traction goal. Like if you're not following. That critical path, then it's dead time. Yep. That's that's how I feel about it. For my wife sometimes gives me hard gives me a hard time because it could be Sunday. And I don't know, she's maybe watching last night. What did we have? The billboard, something like that, billboard awards. And she was out there watching TV and I'm in my room reading, reading a book. And I'm like, and she's like, Oh my god, you're so nerdy. I'm like, why am I nerdy? Because you're reading a book. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just not interested in the Billboard Awards. I rather read the book. <laughs> Leave me alone. It's and then of course it goes back to my: is it dead time or a lifetime? I'd rather be alive. I'd rather be. I think of it as yeah. I'm reading. I was starting to read the Nadal book last night, and it felt as if it was a better, better way, better investment of my time to read that book. And I don't know why, but versus watching somebody else's agenda on TV. So, what? Yeah, exactly. I doubt you're going to um, pick up too many points that are going to stick with you the rest of your life uh, watching the Billboard Awards or whatever. But, you know, reading a book, depending on what you're reading, um, you know, you could be picking up some, you know, some something some, interesting. And it, yeah, it, of, of course, you can't live your life. Technical knowledge. 
not like having fun. I trust me, I have fun. Right. We, we go to we hang out with friends, we go to bars, we rent boats, we you know, we we we, we like we have a a good life. Yeah. We, we we travel, the whole thing. But here's the thing. I, when I'm but I'm very or like focused on my my time. I'm I'm very I don't like dead time. That's what I'm saying. It's like the time that I'm doing something, I'm spending this time with you. I'm, you you don't see me spending doing doing other things. My like I'm focused right. talking to you, right? Exactly. It's and th- that same type of energy I take to everything. So if I'm spending an hour with with somebody having coffee, I'm there. I'm present. I'm not texting or whatever. I don't know. It, it's it's a it's a way of being, I guess. And I think the um, I I think I've been conscious of it. I I become conscious of it in the past couple of years since I since I've since I made a very conscious decision of understanding that. Be, just being here, being in front of the computer doesn't mean I'm working. Right. Right. But I know that by the end of the month, I need to be, I need to be paying payroll. I need to be doing this. I need yep. to be meeting weekly <laughs> revenue goals or monthly revenue goals in order to hit the yearly goals. Yeah. That means that I better be busy every single minute I'm awake in order to yeah. meet those deadlines. So anyways, yeah. that's the difference between a lifetime and. It, yeah, it can get away from you. I mean, I remember, um, I remember listening to this one particular guest on on Mixergy, Andrew Warren's Mixergy, and he was like an engineer type. Um, he was a, he was an engineer type. His his focus was SEO. He was an SEO consultant, um, and he had installed some program on his browser that actually just tracked what he was doing, where he was going, and then like he he was able to categorize these different sites and then put them in different you know, um, jars or whatever. And, um, it, it showed him that he was, you know, you're spending X amount of time doing what appears to be work. And then a large chunk of time on Facebook and a large chunk of time, just watching random YouTube videos. And it kind of hit home for that guy because he had kids. And I think there was like a moment where he told his wife he couldn't go to his kid's soccer game that Saturday because he had to work. And then he like ends up looking at this tracker and he said, holy crap, man, like, you know, 50% of my time was spent not working. And I just didn't, I missed my kid's soccer game essentially. So I could like mess around on Facebook and YouTube. Is You're talking that- about an application called rescue time. And, um, Okay. Oh my god! I used I've I've had rescue time forever. I'm actually gonna I'm, I'm as you start as you were saying this, I was logging in and at some moment, some time, I uninstalled it from my computer, so it stopped tracking. But look, the last time, it um, look this year. Well, I don't know. Well, okay, yeah, it stopped. It stopped. Oh, I, I don't know. It ended, it stopped tracking on the 10th of May. So, well, let me see. Like, if if I just go to monthly and I go to, sorry, May, or let me go to last month, just to, since it didn't track, well, I was traveling in April, so that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was in San Francisco. It says that in March, I logged 112 hours. So I don't know like how like a lifetime or a productivity pulse. So yeah, that's that's I mean that's work work hours. So communication and scheduling, Gmail, Slack, Skype, thirty seven hours. Wow. Um, then uh, then this is also good. I don't know what my I'm looking at my product. It says something productive or 
not productive. Um, total distracting hours. Well, no, that's not it. Well, I don't know how how to measure this, but I'm looking at it. It says um, that uh, in my total time logged has been thirty eight thousand eighty nine hours. And I've had a total distracting time, 837 hours. Oh, man. <laughs> it's not too bad. I mean, that's, not, it, that's really good. That's really good, but it's, it shows like how that can add up. Yeah, it can add I mean, that's a lot of <laughs> 837 hours. That seems of, like a really good ratio. But, but imagine that's, that's messing around with, with maybe Facebook or maybe I don't know what I was doing, right? I, I, I can't, yeah. it's so low value that I can't even remember what it was. So, yep. I mean, that tells you that sometimes we're not present as much as, as, as we would like. Um, and, I think, and I think that's what defines success versus failure because sometimes, I don't know if it's happened ever to you that a week goes by and you're like, damn, did a week just pass by? Oh, yeah. Did, what did I get done? Right? What day is today? Is it a weekday? <laughs> is it a weekday? Or, and, then, and then somebody says something that says, uh, somebody comes and asks you this question. I was going to ask this question, so, um, and I'll ask you this question to see if I'll if I'll get you worried. So, to keep up your cash flow, how many sales do you need per day? Do you have that number right at the top of your head? Dude, I don't, man. You should. You see, and that's a that's a number. That's to keep up your cash flow. How many sales do you need per day? So, the reason I that's immediately it kind of fuels a spark under you, right? It says. Shit. Uh, wait. One of, and then you kind of go back to, and try to organize your priorities again. And how do I yeah. make those whatever? If you need to sell 100 a day, just making you know an example. Let's say you need to sell 10 a day, whatever it is. Now you're like, okay, what, what tasks? That's the, that's, that's attraction goal, right? right. What, what, what tasks are part of that critical path so that right. you can get to that goal? And and that that defines your dead time and a lifetime. Yeah, true. That's a great point. And um, I imagine, I mean, from what I, the little I know about you, just from I guess our conversation at the uh, out in San Francisco at the Mixergy event, um, you know, you mentioned that, and I won't give any exact numbers, but you know, you have a pretty healthy buffer right now. It sounded like you know you could, um, if if, this, if the phone stopped ringing tomorrow and sales stopped coming in the door. You know, you'd have a, it sounded like a good amount of time to figure out what yeah what to happens do. next. Yeah, our our um, goal our goal essentially to 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 allude to that is our goal is to have this is kind of a crazy goal, but and I think I since I talked to you, our goal was a year. We want to go to two years. Okay, and we're at about five six months almost of that runway, which is a big runway for a company like ours of twiddling our thumbs and not doing anything, yep. right? So like no no income whatsoever for that though that amount of time in order to in, still keep the run, the company running. Yeah. But part of my income, part of our, our of our company revenue goes towards that every single month. Yep. We have a budget and we have a number of dollars that have to go into that to that fund every single yep. month. And go ahead. I was just going to say I I'm I'm guessing that you know, a lot of people are sort of, I imagine, um, running their business sort of paycheck to paycheck, you know, and I, I've even worked at businesses that I know that's what was happening with them. Um, and I imagine that you've built up that big runway that you have um, because you're focused on it. I mean, that's exactly what you're saying here, I guess. Is that, you have to be that's, intentional that's your, about it. 
And you know, this you is Jackson. if you want to listen to to an interesting episode, um, it's not up yet. Now that I think about it, now you see, this is one of those questions, one of those things that 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 you think of. Why is it not up yet? But it, it's uh, Jesse Meekham. I interviewed him. He is the founder of You Need a Budget. And um, after I interviewed uh, Jesse, Jesse again, he built. He has. Uh, he I. It's sort of like you in the sense that he is he he had this thing he had this problem right and then which is keeping his own budgets in place and then he's like well wouldn't other people be interested in having their own budgets so not now not only is he te he create software for that but he's teaching people how to keep up their budgets and all these different things so he's got a, like a philosophy behind it and um, one of the things that we talked about in that podcast was he told me Carlos. The, the issue is that people are not intentionable, intentional, and I keep on saying intentionable, they're not intentional about their money and how they spend it. Yeah. And, but the, the key is here is being intentional about everything, about time, about money, about everything. And sometimes we are reactive to things as in, oh, I wish I'd read more. Oh yeah, the year will go by and you don't read more. How about you keep a list of books you want to read and you, every time you have nothing to do, you go and read the book, right? If you have a, you know, a time open, uh, 30 minutes open and it's not a time that you're dedicating to your kids or to your wife or your mm -hmm. family time, grab a book for 15 minutes, read a couple of chapters by, in, you know, you, you have to be intentional about it. Um, but the same thing happens with money, same th thing happens with, with building relationships. It's, it, it happens with everything. Um, yeah. So, anyways, that that that's that's one of those things to 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 take with you. I, I would say, yeah, absolutely. All right, brother. So, man, I, I want to thank you so much. This was this has been an, an awesome episode. Um, we we packed it with your a little bit of your a lot of your background. We talked about you gave us a full class about what moonshine is and all this this all these different processes that I think are really interesting. And uh, so the most important question I have to ask you now at the end, how can people find you and find Clawhammer Supply? Sure, yeah, it's uh, clawhammersupply.com. Um, and we also have uh, another website, americanhomedistillers.com. So either of those, both of those websites are uh, operated by um, me and my staff. And you can go to either and uh, check them out. And yeah, if you have any questions about our stills or you know about the things that we talked about on the interview here, you can email at uh, either site, and I'll I'll be sure to see the emails. Awesome, and guys, um, anybody who's interested, uh, make sure that you check out his website. I'm looking at I'm, as you gave me the link. I'm looking at the stills right now. These these things are beautiful. I mean, this is true work of art. Like seriously, this is this is really beautiful stuff, man. Thanks. <laughs> All right, brother. Hey, uh, so anyways, uh, once again, I want to thank you for your time coming today in the show. I'm honored that you took the time of your, of your day to come, and I uh, hope to see you in one of the next episodes of Long Solid. Absolutely. Thanks, Carlos. Thank you. <laughs>